0: The NASA workforce is what makes this agency so special, and from my earliest days flying the space shuttle, I've been amazed at the unbelievably important contributions technicians make to NASA missions. Before my second flight, some extremely tiny cracks were found in the flow liners of the main engines of the shuttle, and NASA recruited a group of the most highly skilled welders in our country who saved the day. I'm NASA Deputy Administrator, Pam Melroy. At NASA, our skilled technical workforce, our team of talented machinists, welders, sheet metal workers and technicians make the seemingly impossible possible. Our technical staff is second to none and I'm excited for our wonderful trade and technical professionals to be in the spotlight in this podcast series.
1: Welcome to Small Steps, Giant Leaps, a NASA Apple Knowledge Services podcast where we tap into project experiences to share best practices, lessons learned, and novel ideas. I'm Dina Nunley. We're kicking off a three-part series featuring NASA trade and technical professionals and how they impact mission success. Our conversation today is with three engineering technicians at NASA's Armstrong Flight Research Center in California. Thanks so much for joining us. Could you start by telling us your name and what you do? Hi,
2: yeah, my name is Alex Zamora and I'm an engineering technician at Armstrong Flight Research Center. Um, I work in the Experimental Fabrication Branch and um, our branch is actually split up in a few shops and I am focused in the machine shop.
3: Uh, My name is Jason Nelson. I also work in NASA Armstrong Flight Research Center's Experimental Fabrication Shop. I am uh, the lead of sheet metal, welding, composite, and 3D
4: printing. I'm Kyle Whitfield, currently an engineering technician with a focus in uh, welding. i uh, been here for about 16 years, hold multiple structural aircraft certifications, as well as structural certifications, and a uh, certified welding inspector.
1: What kind of projects are you working on? Kyle, we'll start with you.
4: Uh you know not every day's uh you get you get the glitz and the glam projects. Currently I'm working on modifying sea containers. Um one of our satellite facilities is uh closing, shutting down, so we have to modify some sea containers for storage units. So uh that's currently what I'm on.
1: Jason
3: Um <laughs> well being the lead I'm pretty much involved in all the projects. Uh, let's see, right now what do we have going to shops? You know, we're, we are supporting uh, NASA's X-59 aircraft. Uh, it's over in Palmdale. We have F-15s that we are trying to get up and going for chase aircraft for that flight. We have a F-15 research aircraft. We have uh, some support equipment, aspects going on. Uh, you know, I, I work with Kyle as well. Um, so we have that, everything that goes on in there with him, like those C-trains, and then with, I work with Alex as well. Um, the big project right now, um, the main focus is F-15 Fleet and X-59. But uh, we have about 10 aircraft platforms at this moment. And, you know, this this division services all of those on top of whatever the center needs. So any org, sim, lab, uh, life support, um, security forces, facilities, you know, they, they always come in with something, needing something. Uh, so that's that's kind of what I deal with.
2: Alex. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for me, I, uh, I'm with these guys, we, we touch a bit of everything. Right. Um, but some of the big projects, um, that, that have come through the shop are, um, you know, Global Hawk is a big project for us. We do a lot of modifications for Global Hawk. Um, and right now is like the era of X planes, they call it. Um, I don't, I wasn't here for, you know, anything before X 57. So, um, I've heard it was, it was a dry period. So, um, You know, in our shop, we've we've touched on a lot of X fifty seven modifying electric motors, X fifty nine the low boom flight demonstrator. We've uh, you know made many parts for that, Um, some inlets uh, on the aircraft to to uh, track airspeed, Um, and then now there's the X sixty six transonic truss braced wing. That's that's a new project coming up that we're going to be, I think, heavily involved in. So. Uh, you know, a lot of fun work coming through the shop right now, a lot of cool things happening.
1: As engineering technicians, what's your role working alongside NASA engineers?
3: You know, the, the interaction with the engineers is, is, is very important. Um, you know, the, the theoretical world, the theoretical CAD world is, is amazing, but it's still theoretical. So when you get down to physical properties and and things of that nature you know there's uh, bend radiuses they don't think about right you stress material in certain ways you'll you'll get cracks down the road part to fail and we don't want that so uh, you know there's definitely times where we can come up with the, our own ideas and plans uh, we use the same cat systems as the engineers and we can make our own designs and say you know why don't you try this analyze that and it comes out good and then we'd let them do most of the paperwork. <laughs> Just say, okay, we'll take it from there and and then uh, it'll come back and then we'll make it for them. You know, um, engineers uh, will come to us uh, sometimes for their, for, you know, uh, for us to double check their prints, right? To make sure it's manufacturable, it's feasible. You know, the time frame's good, the material's good. Uh, and we can relate to them like, yes, No, you know i'll let alex expand on the machine shop side especially over there you know but uh, you know on the sheet metal side and and, uh it's like they don't have that on-hand aircraft experience uh that we do and so you know i can sit there and tell them with uh, my experience in civilian aviation and in the military like that's not safe or it's not going to work you know you're you might be violating a rule or, or two, uh, and it should, you know, and there's easier ways to fabricate stuff as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, for the machine shop side, we're, we're, uh, we're actually all pretty lucky. You know, we, we work right below, like physically below. The engineers are upstairs, a lot of them are, and um, they're, they're able to come down and um, speak with us on a day-to-day basis on designs. Right, and so um, you know, a lot of them uh, take the advantage of that because um, you know, in our shops, we I know the machine shops over seventy five years experience, and they're easy, you know, and uh, we we've seen a thing or two. So a lot of these um, engineers that we have are, are pretty young, pretty fresh out of college, and um, I love it when they come down to to pick our brain, you know, you know, they show us a design, and and we can help them, you know, make it easier, or or like Jason was saying earlier, maybe you know put a new, fresh pair of eyes on the problem and see if, you know, hey, what did you think about doing it this way instead? Um, it's it's almost a daily basis for us. I mean, I think that's where the engineering and engineering technician comes into play. Um, we also, you know, have have a say in designs and, um, you know, what can help the end product. You know, th- there was a shirt that I once seen that said uh, machinists, because even engineers need heroes. Right. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I thought it was pretty good, pretty funny. I should have bought it. I didn't buy it. I might go back and get it. But um you could make a sign. <laughs> yeah. I should make a sign. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, yeah. I mean it's you know, it's funny games, but you know what? In the end we all work together. We all try to get the mission done, right? Um, and and honestly, it's 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 a team effort. Um, and it's just it's just you could see you can see the difference in engineers—the ones that actually come talk to us for for, for making parts. Um, the end product just just gets that much better with with our eyes involved. So
3: and sometimes faster.
2: Definitely, definitely. You know that's a good point, J- Jason. That we were just working with somebody and they had a design for this handle, and um, it was crazy complicated. And instead, it's like let's 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 step back for a second. What if we you know not make this out of one piece, but out of multiple pieces and just weld it together. Um, that literally cut down the time. And I would say it would've taken us probably say like a month and a half to make these parts probably half a month now. So, so it took a month of time off of of making this right. And it's just, just like you said, new
4: perspective on, on a problem. I don't remember being involved in that design review. We're not. We're not.
2: And we ended up not welding it either. Actually, okay. except, right. uh, that's just, uh, <laughs> so there's iterations. Just that's
3: fun. how that works out.
4: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Just to jump in on Jason and Alex's statements, uh, to me, I feel like sometimes we're we're manufacturing feasibility technicians first, and then we're fabricators after that. Um, a lot of the engineers we have like alex said uh pretty pretty fresh out of college Uh, most of the ones that i've ever dealt with in terms of welding if if they have done welding projects before um they literally sketched it out on a napkin brought it to their welder their welder just made it here um in the aerospace industry it's just not a that's not how they want to do things. The paper trail, the drawings, everything, you know.
3: Certificates.
4: Yeah, it, it, it needs to be much more involved in that. So I constantly get uh, engineers coming down asking advice how it needs to be welded, what kind of uh, welding symbols they'd be putting on things, uh, what weld would be sufficient for the structural integrity of that part, uh, all sorts of things like that. So I, I think it's a, a very important role. You know, if, if there was just engineers, they'd have a lot of paperwork and a lot of drawings, but they'd have no parts.
2: Yeah, it's our expertise, right, Kyle? I mean, like, you know, there's three of us to, to see all of, all of the manufacturing, right? And, and for the engineer, that's a lot. I would say for one person to know everything. So, Oh, absolutely. So, so coming down to you, it just makes sense, right? Hey, Kyle, you're the expertise in welding, you know, what should I do here? Um, and, and I can see it's, it's a big pill to swallow for the engineers to take on all the roles. So, so, you know, we're a perfect complement to, to their projects. Absolutely.
1: Which leads me to wonder how important is your craft in making missions successful?
3: The most. (laughs) <laughs> I like that uh, most important.
4: Yeah. I, I, I don't think, uh, much as is, is possible here without our craft. Um, everything we do is, is a one-off. Um, it, it's not a assembly line where you're stamping out parts, you know, it's, every part is a different part and then there's different revisions of those parts sometimes. Um, and I just don't see it being possible without these trades or these crafts.
2: Yeah. And then like I'd add too, like, I mean, uh, you know, you guys said like if there was just engineers and, and no one to make the stuff, we, we wouldn't be anywhere. Right. Um, but there's also, I guess the way I'll look at this question is, you know, internally how important are we to mission success right someone could send parts out maybe to different to different companies um, but like you said Kyle a lot of what we do is one-offs and so and and sometimes not fully developed so it's very difficult for for us to send parts out get something back and say you know what this didn't work the way we wanted to let's send it back out and there's a lot of back and forth there where since we're literally downstairs, we're in the building next door. We're on the same facility. We can, you know, knock parts out, test them real quick, um, have a quick turnaround on the fly, right? So, so for mission success, it's it's hugely important. You know, it cuts down on time big time.
3: There's also an aspect uh, that's for my side too. Uh, is knowing the aircraft and the publications that govern the aircraft as far as Repairs and flight worthiness. Uh, there's a lot of engineers. They don't. They don't know. They don't. They don't have to. They don't take the time, right? It's not in their. It's not in the engineering like schedule to look, to read through these pubs. Uh, there. There are some uh, engineers. You know, they they get into it because that's the specific platform they're on. But they'll come to us because we are heavy in the in the repair manuals of the aircraft. And so they they don't know them. So again, that that's not something that that was uh, pressed upon them to know. So here we are. We're in those books. We've read them. We have uh, individuals prior military, prior industry. They know these manuals, and we could get them the quick answer or you know the best answer per se as well, um, and and guide them because. The, the, books, the books aren't always law, it is meeting the intent sometimes. And so we have to translate the book to them as well as far as what the intent, right? Uh, you know, we had one corrosion project where it's like all these engineers and great minds wanted to do this thing. And I was just like, nope, we shouldn't do that. That's, that's not really what we should do. Uh, and I will say that we pulled in another uh, corrosion specialist from another center who came down and basically validated my concerns and what my view was, and and that, and that you know, and it, it made happen. And uh, we were able to complete that project to the furthest ex- extent on our part. <laughs> I'll say so. It's very important. They, they don't. They just don't have the experience that we do on the actual aircraft, or with the actual material, or with the machines that we're using to make the parts for them.
1: And so that hands-on experience is really what we're talking about here that's making a difference? I think so. And it sounds like you get to share your ideas, and you actually see them implemented.
3: I will say we're very fortunate here to be able to do that. I know alex has worked in other outside industries and and, I, and again like and in, in the military there you know <laughs> there's a fine line of what you could express and then not express and sometimes even in the, the civilian world uh with general aviation you have to deal with companies or pilots right and so there's a level so i feel like here is, it is a very open forum like right? we really try to keep that open door Uh, For conversation,
2: yeah, Jason. Like like you said, when when I was working at a a production facility, right? It was we were making parts for like Boeing or or whoever. It was already designed, right? And we were just making the parts. Um, There was there was nothing you can say about design um, or even have had much ideas. But you know where I think the big difference is, though, is that here in Armstrong. Like we're all journeyman level, you know, so we, we, we have a good, good background and, um, we have this trust, you know, to, to see our ideas come through. You know, there's, there's always that trust factor that, that needs to be in place first for someone to actually trust that, you know, you, you're going to make a good choice. Um, and, and because of our backgrounds, I feel like that trust is there.
4: Yeah. I, I would say, uh you know, in terms of our ideas getting implemented and being able to, to see them uh, through, uh, this is probably one of the greatest places for that. Um, I see it time and time again, uh, you know, over there in the machine shop, like Alex was talking about, handles. I I know recently they had another project that they wanted these, you know, five-axis machined I think they were like a clevis or uh, some kind of a, a latch of some sort, and instead it was you know a couple great minds got together and they three D printed them. You know, saved the project ton of money. You know, they they got to see it from yeah. from conception to the actual part done worked. Uh, you know, I, I, I think in a lot of industries you don't get to see that, and it's almost not. Uh, it's not encouraged in a lot of other industries, you know, you're, you're, you're told here's your job, push this button. You know, you're expected to make a hundred of these today. Uh, here it's, it's a very, uh, innovative environment in my
1: opinion.
2: Yeah. And a sense of accomplishment, right? I mean, like every day we get to go home and say, Hey, we just made this, you know, or we had a piece in this. Um, it's, it's very rewarding, I think.
1: What's the learning process for you? Does it take a lot of experience to be really good at this?
2: YouTube, <laughs> YouTube does it. <laughs> Watch a couple videos, you got it. You got it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think there's there's years and years and years of just digging in deep, you know, always trying to learn, getting out of our comfort zone, and and you know, doing our best um, with every job. You know, there comes a little more experience. And, um, you know, thankfully, I'm in a shop where I've got people who, have, who are very well-rounded in, in different aspects of machining. And we really work work strongly as a team to, to pull off of each other and to learn from each other. And um, so every day, every day, we take it as, as, you know, learning experience and just grow your skill and grow your craft. Um, it has taken a long time to get where I'm at for sure. But exposure, I think, was my biggest thing. And then wanting to learn, you know, um, you know, give, giving yourself those opportunities to learn. Um, don't, you know, don't take no, you know, just 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 go for it, go for it, go for it. Keep keep trying and um, and um, going in with an open mind. So uh, it's not an overnight thing for sure, but. But it, you know, honestly, it went by pretty quick to where I'm at now. So, so it feels like it. But it's, um, it's it's a lifelong thing.
4: Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say the the learning process is it's not short, especially in the, the world of welding. You know, I I know a couple guys that uh, had told me I, I watched it on YouTube. seemed pretty easy. <laughs> uh, (laughs) i think i was
2: one of those guys
4: (laughs) (laughs) i wasn't gonna name names you know and uh it, it can definitely be humbling but to kind of you know quote alex if you're hungry to learn you'll go places i i think that's how the three of us have gotten where we've gotten it was there was always a desire to you know, Hey, how do you run that machine over there? Hey, how do you do that? How did you do that? Um, the, the constant curiosity is, is I think what really makes a good experienced tradesman. So yeah, it's, it, it does take a lot, but if, if you're willing and, and hungry to learn, you'll, you'll go places.
2: You know, I have, I have so much respect for welders because <laughs> I, I really was one of those guys that said that. I seen a video on welding and I was like, okay, I think I can do this. And we had some free time and Kyle was willing to show me how. And oh my goodness, that was the toughest thing that I've done. It was so hard to just, you know, lay a beat. Um, and so got a lot of respect for you, Kyle.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's equal. It's mutual. Now it's back at you. There's, there's things and aspects of... Of all of our trades, that it's like, man, I I couldn't have thought of that if I tried. So it's not just one field.
3: <laughs> it, that right there, it's not just one field. I think is a is an important aspect of this. You know, uh, all of us have experience in a lot of different things. You know, to the point where it's like we were never like a journeyman at one specific thing ever. Because we do have all this experience. And then as we've come to mature, you know, now we can, you know, we, there's a label that we are journeymen in, a, in our specific zone. But, you know, Kyle can come to the sheet metal shop and do work there. He could do composites, uh, right? Uh, Alex, same thing. You know, he's dipping over into the welding site. He could come over to sheet metal and do that too. You know, same with me. Uh, we all have like just enough to get in trouble with, you know,
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> just
3: yep. enough knowledge sometimes kind of get in trouble with, like I say, but, but, it, it, you know, we're not, we haven't stopped learning. We're still trying to learn from each other, too, you know, to this day. And, and the learning process, what I, I was just speaking in Oshkosh about is like, it, sometimes learning process, especially in these fields, it can be long and arduous, but it's that like want, of accomplishment you know to see something go from such a raw thing to a functional part that for me is a big thing yeah in the the navy i just want to know as much as i could about that aircraft part of that was fear too because i do not want one falling out of the sky because of me but you have to be able to overcome that fear as well and i think there are some people there like you know they're shy we could say shy instead of fearful or whatever you know and they they just sometimes may need a little help and a push you know and then that first setback comes and sometimes some people tend to draw away and then that's when that you know you need to endure and you need to step up and and keep moving forward with that so uh, that that's you know i think that's a big part of the learning experience as well Absolutely.
1: What do you see as the future of manufacturing and skilled trades?
3: Investment in, in the, the education system, right? Junior high, I had a woodshop class. I was supposed to take an art class as well. And I, I was like, art's not for me. And I ended up doing a full year in woodshop class. I could say that's pretty much what I knew. But how many of these schools have these vocational you know, aspects to it? How many people live in areas that have a wide variety of industrial work going on? Or Alex, you know, you were like, you found you found a place, right? Like, what if you were somewhere that didn't have a machine shop? And what? What if I was born somewhere else and didn't have the access that I had? I think some of these classes need to be incorporated nationwide you know i mean home economics used to be like a nationwide course that that students had to take just just to so you could know how to cook on your own right uh maybe fix a hole in your pants or whatever i don't even know if that's a thing anymore honestly (laughs) but i think like there needs to be some investment and back into that And and open up the opportunity to not just rural area students, you know, farming communities or uh, heavy aerospace industries, uh, you know, like Edwards Air Force Base, Lancaster, Palmdale is the hub of flight research of this country. Well, there is a very small population. Lancaster and Edwards accounts for maybe, what is it, like 300,000 people. And that's not a lot. You know, uh, and that doesn't mean everyone here is interested in getting into this either. Uh, so I think investment in, into the lower school grades, or at least high school, is what I, I see the future.
2: Yeah, and, and that's not to say that it's not happening, right, Jason? I mean, we, mm-hmm. we see it, right? I mean, Jason and I help out in uh, FIRST Robotics. We're trying to wrangle Kyle to, to help out, too. Maybe (laughs) next year, Kyle. Maybe next year. But, um, you know, we we were fortunate enough to actually get a trailer that was outfitted with um, a bunch of equipment inside of it, like mills, lathes, um, all types of fabrication equipment. And we take that trailer to all the big competitions that First Robotics have. And um, we're there to help out all the teams, help with the kids, you know, speak to them. And you know, we see firsthand that these kids are, are really, really involved. You know, some of them you can tell are, are are going somewhere. Um, but you know, a lot of them do ask questions too, you know, how'd you get here? How'd you do this? How'd you do that? And um, you know, they see NASA and they wanna they they wanna work for NASA, right? And and a lot of them are are actually really surprised that, you know what, like many of us actually didn't go to college. Many of us um, you know, we, we found a job doing doing what we like. And we, we pursued it, right, and and kind of like we just learned on the job. And um, it opens up their eyes huge, you know, and it's like, wow, really? Like, and some some kids, they're just not made for college. They just don't want to go. And it kind of gives them a, another route, you know. And so sometimes, you know, people hear NASA and they just think engineering and a lot of school and scientists and rockets, you know, and this and that. Um, it's not all that, you know, It's there's more, way, way more to it than that and um so like jason was saying if if that knowledge was brought about young and and um, you know given opportunities you know that that i think will open doors for for the younger generations to get into this trade and not only that but you know knowledge is cheap these days you could go on websites for free and learn anything you want right and so the theory of machining or sheet metal or airplanes or whatnot it's all there. It's all there for free. Now we just gotta know how to, you know, get them to get hands-on experience. And that, that'll make the big difference, I think.
4: Yeah, and, and like both Jason and Alex had mentioned, I think investment, but also kind of how they had touched part of it is appeal. How do we make trades appeal to the younger generation? It's it's hard to compete with the tech sector. Considering the fact that the pay, salary, everything like that, on the tech sector is wildly, you know, kind of top heavy. So how do we get appeal to manufacturing? And and one thing that I I've seen that's kind of cool, um, and it's kind of changed things recently, even though it's been around for at least two decades, uh, is 3D printing. I've seen a lot of kids get interested in Manufacturing, because of three D printing, because it's it's almost become, for lack of better words, a toy. You know, you can make little fidget spinners. You can make salt and pepper shakers. (laughs) Uh, You know, the the sky is is you know the limit. And so, that's that's to me. How do we make it appeal to kids as well as give them the opportunity? To be able to learn at a younger age, you know, putting it back into high schools, middle schools, whatever it be. But I'm I'm excited to see what the future's got in terms of manufacturing changes. To see if uh, it can can kind of rein in even more of the youth, get them more interested in the trades.
1: Well, this has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you all three for joining us today on the podcast. Thank
4: you, Dan. This was great. Well, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. It's been, uh,
1: it's been fun for sure. Yeah. Have you got any closing thoughts?
4: Go out there and learn.
2: Yeah. And one thing I've got too is, you know, unfortunately, uh, this is a dying trade, you know, bottom line. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard to replace people that have retired. Um, it's getting harder and harder. Um, so, so I think it's up to us to, to really show, you know, how great this trade is and, you know, it could be fun, it could be challenging, it could be rewarding. But um, like Kyle said, you know, go out there and learn. I would say my final thought
3: is do epic stuff.
1: Alex, Jason, and Kyle's bios are available on our website at apple.nasa.gov podcast, along with a show transcript and links to topics discussed during the conversation. In the next episode of this series, we'll talk with NASA trade and technical professionals supporting a wide variety of work, from additive manufacturing to lasers to contamination control and planetary protection. And we encourage you to share the podcast series with your friends and colleagues. As always, thanks for listening to Small Steps, Giant Leaps.